Chapter Twenty Eight of Love's Shadow by Ada Leverson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Twenty Eight. Anne returns. It was about six o'clock, and Hyacinth was sitting in her boudoir alone. It was a lovely room, and she herself looked lovely, but for a bride of four months, a little discontented. She was wondering why she was not happier. What was this unreasonable misery, this constant care, this anxious jealousy that seemed to poison her very existence? It was as intangible as a shadow, but it was always there. Hyacinth constantly felt that there was something in Cecil that escaped her, something that she missed, and yet he was kind, affectionate, even devoted. Sometimes, when they spent evenings at home together, which were calm and peaceful and should have been happy, the girl would know, with the second sight of love, that he was thinking about Eugenia. And this phantom, of which she never spoke to him and could not have borne him to know of, tormented her indescribably. It seemed like a spell that she knew not how to break. It was only a thought, yet how much it made her suffer giving way for the moment to the useless and futile bitterness of her jealousy she had leant her head on the cushion of the little sofa where she sat when with a sudden sensation that she was no longer alone she raised it again and looked up standing near the door she saw a tall thin figure with a rather wooden face and no expression a queer figure oddly dressed in a mackintosh and a golf cap why do you burn so much electric light and said dryly, in a reproachful voice, as she turned a button on the wall. Hyacinth sprang up with a cry of surprise. Anne hardly looked at her, and walked round the room. "'Sit down. I want to look at your new room. Silk walls and Dresden china. I suppose this is what's called gilded luxury. Do you ever see that the servants dust it, or do they do as they like?' "'Anne, how can you?' Do you know how anxious we've been about you? Do you know we weren't sure you were not dead? Weren't you? I wasn't very sure myself at one time. I see you took the chances, though, and didn't go into mourning for me. That was sensible. Anne, will you have the ordinary decency to tell me where you've been, after frightening me out of my life? Oh, it wouldn't interest you. I went to several places. I just went away because at the last minute I felt I couldn't stand the wedding. "'Besides, you had a honeymoon. I didn't see why I shouldn't. And mine was much jollier. Freer, because I was alone. Cheaper, too, thank goodness.' "'What an extraordinary creature you are, Anne! Not caring whether you heard from me or of me for four months, and then coolly walking in like this.' "'It was the only way to walk in. I really had meant never to see you again, Hyacinth. You didn't want me. I was only in the way.' I was no longer needed now that you've got that young man you were always worrying about. What's his name? Reeve? But I missed you too much. I was too bored without you. I made up my mind to take a back seat if I could only see you sometimes. I had to come and have news of you. Well, and how do you like him now you've got him? Hardly worth all that bother, was he? I'll tell you, Anne. You are the very person I want. I need you immensely. You're the only creature in the world that could be the slightest help to me. Oh, so there is a crumpled rose-leaf. I told you he was exactly like any other young man. Oh, but he isn't, Anne. Tell me first about you. Where are you? Where are you staying? 
"'That's my business. I'm staying with some delightful friends. You wouldn't know them, wouldn't want to, either.' "'Nonsense. You used to say you had no friends except mine. You must come and stay here. Cecil would be delighted to see you.' "'I dare say, but I'm not coming. I may be a fool, but I'm not stupid enough for that. I should hate it, besides. No, but I'll look in and see you from time to time, and give you a word of advice. You doing housekeeping, indeed!' She laughed as she looked round. "'Who engaged your servants?' "'Why, I did. I suppose you were too sweet and polite to ask for their characters for fear of hurting their feelings. I suppose you gave them twice as much as they asked. This is the sort of house servants like. Do you allow followers?' "'How should I know? No, I suppose not. Of course I let them see their friends when they like. Why shouldn't they? They let me see mine.' "'Yes, that's jolly of them, awfully kind. Of course you wouldn't know. And I suppose the young man, Cecil, or whatever you call him, is just as ignorant as you are and thinks you do it beautifully?' "'My dear Anne, I assure you, I know what you're going to say. You order the dinner. That's nothing, so can any one. There's nothing clever in ordering. What are you making yourself miserable about? What's the matter?' "'Tell me first where you're staying and what you're doing.' I insist on being told at once. I'm staying with charming people, I tell you, at a boarding-house in Bloomsbury. I'm a great favourite there. No, now I come to think of it, I'm hated, but they don't want me to leave them. Now, Anne, why live like that? Even if you wouldn't stay with us, it's ridiculous of you to live in this wretched, uncomfortable way. Not at all. It isn't wretched, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I pay hardly anything because I help with the housekeeping. Of course, it isn't so much fun as it used to be with you. It's a little sordid. It isn't very pretty. But it's interesting. It's not old-fashioned. There's no wax fruit, no round table in the middle of the room. It's only about twenty-five years out of date. There are Japanese fans and bead curtains. They think the bead curtains, instead of folding doors, quite smart and oriental, rather wicked. Oh, and we have musical evenings on Sundays. Sometimes we play dumb crambo. Now, tell me about the little rift within the lute. I always told you every little thing, Anne, didn't I? Anne turned away her head. Who arranges your flowers? I do. Oh, you do do something. They look all right, but I did it much better. Oh, by the way, you mustn't think these are the only clothes I've got. I have a very smart tailor-made coat and skirt, which I bought at a sale at a little shop in Brixton. I went to Brixton for the season. There's nothing like the suburbs for real style. I mean real, thoroughly English style. And the funny part is that the suburban English dresses all come from Vienna. Isn't it queer? All right. Come to see me next time in your Brixton Viennese costume, and we'll have a long talk. I think you're pleased I've got a little trouble, aren't you? Oh, no, I don't want you to have trouble. But I should like you to own he isn't so wonderful after all. "'But I don't own that, not in the least. "'The thing is, you see,' she waited a minute, "'I believe I'm still jealous of Mrs. Raymond.' "'But she isn't Mrs. Raymond any more. "'You surely don't imagine that he flirts with his aunt?' "'Of course not. How absurd you are. "'That's a ridiculous way to put it. "'No, he won't even see her.' "'Is that what you complain of?' His avoiding her shows he still thinks of her. It's a bad sign, isn't it? What I feel is that he still puts her on a pedestal, 
"'Well, that's all right. Let her stay there. "'Now, Hyacinth, when people know what they want, "'really want something acutely and definitely, "'and don't get it, I can pity them. "'They're frustrated, scored off by fate, as it were, "'and even if it's good for them, I'm sorry. "'But when they have got what they wanted "'and then find fault and are not satisfied, "'I can't give them any sympathy at all.' "'Who was it said there is no tragedy like not getting your wish, except getting it? "'You wanted Cecil Reeve. You got him. "'How would you have felt if the other woman had got him instead?' "'You're right, Anne, I suppose. "'And yet, do you think you'll ever quite forget her?' "'Do you think, if you tried really hard, "'you could manage to find out what your grievance is, Hyacinth?' "'Yes. Well, then, try.' and when you've found it, just keep it. Don't part with it. A sentimental grievance is a resource. It's a consolation for all the prosaic miseries of life. Now I must go, or I shall be late for high tea. End of chapter 28